0: Don't say gay. That is the buzzword of this week. This buzzword was coined by the radical left, and it relates to a piece of legislation in the state of Florida. As you know, the state of Florida is the radical left's sworn enemy. And this piece of legislation, this bill, it's passed in the House, or a committee in the House, passed in a committee in the Senate, the state Senate in Florida, is no exception. The don't say gay bill is... That's not obviously its official title. It is Senate Bill 1834, and it's about parental transparency in public schools. However, the radical left would like you to think that it subjugates LGBTQIA plus youth. That is not at all what it is. However, the radical left, to the upper echelons of the Democratic Party, so this is a a full-blown Assault from the radical left. They want you to believe that this bill is something that it is not. They want you to believe that this is a homophobic, transphobic, bigoted, hateful, awful, Neanderthal type of bill. And I read the entire the entire bill. It's it's a four page four pages this piece of legislation, and that's what I want us to talk about tonight. Because the radical left lies to us. We know this, and they lie to us in ways that it's actually kind of a ballsy way to lie to us. And what I mean by that is it's not like this is a thousand page document, this piece of legislation. Any one of us can go and read this and see the truth. And yet the radical left thinks that we're not going to do that. And so they lie to us anyway. In fact, Biden himself has addressed this bill. Keep in mind, this is a bill in the state of Florida, in the Florida state legislature. And Biden himself um, had the White House... Issue a tweet. The White House's tweet said, "Today, conservative politicians in Florida advanced legislation designed to attack LGBTQI plus kids. Instead of making growing up harder for young people, uh, the president is focused on keeping schools open and supporting students' mental health." Biden, from Biden's official POTUS account, he then quote tweeted that tweet from the White House, and he said, "Quote." I want every member of the LGBTQI plus community, especially the kids who will be impacted by this hateful bill to know that you are loved and accepted just as you are. I have your back and my administration will continue to fight for the protections and safety you deserve. So already you can see that the narrative coming from the left is um, leading you to believe that this bill in some way targets kids, that this law in some way impacts kids, that this is about LGBTQI plus youth. That's That's the first lie. This is an absolute lie. Yet Jen Psaki, the press secretary, builds on Biden's response, builds on Biden's lies. Listen to what she says. Take a look.
1: Um, It's cruel. It's harmful.
0: um, And, uh, you know, it is certainly something that is not helping Uh, you know, young people who are members of the LGBTQI plus community who are already vulnerable, already being bullied. I think the President felt it was important to speak out. Um, But in terms of specific actions, uh, you know, we're going to continue to voice our strong views on this. It's significant the President did that. And uh, if there's any additional steps, I'll, I'll let you know. Now this is also very interesting to note that the press secretary and really the Biden administration at large democratic pundits on CNN, MSNBC, in the New York Times on you know all all of the the liberal corporate media apparatus here they are portraying this issue as not only harmful to, to gay youth, to LGBTQ youth, but also as if it is the role of the public school, meaning the public school is a government-run institution, right? It's a, it's a government-run school. That it's the role of public schools to be a social apparatus. That it's not just an academic institution. That kids don't just go there to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. That they go there for health care, they go there for mental health care they go there for social and cultural indoctrination and so that it's an it's a very interesting interesting tip of the hand from the left because they're telling us what they think the role of public schools are they think the role of public schools is to be involved as essentially a third parent in in the parenting team here a third parent in the child's overall well-being and care including including morals and religion and healthcare here which is a very frightening thing it's a very frightening thing. I said, I, I said at the beginning of this year, I think one of the agenda items of the radical left that they're really going to focus on in 2022 is the erosion of parental rights. They're really going to try to put the state on a higher rung of the ladder than parents. They're really going to try to revert the actual moral natural hierarchy where parents have dominion over their kids. They're going to try to make children as the property of the state and that parents just basically get to administer how the state wants them to parent these children. And this is an example of that. Uh, Saki is tipping their hands here. And then we have Buddha Judge, of course. Buddha Judge is the Secretary of Transportation, although you wouldn't know this given how invisible Buddha Judge has been during the supply chain crisis, even though he is the Transportation Secretary. But Buddha Judge actually claims that this bill is not just hateful, he claims that this bill is dangerous to gay youth. Take a listen to this.
1: I do want to ask you about Florida's uh, "Don't Say Gay" bill. Uh, your, your husband, Chasten, is speaking out against the legislation. He, he says, in particular, uh, that it could lead to more suicides among L- LGBTQ youth. President Biden has slammed the bill as well. In your view, is this dangerous legislation? Absolutely, yeah, and and the reason is that it uh, tells uh, youth who are different or whose families are different that uh, there's something wrong with them out of the gate, and I do think that contributes to the shocking levels of uh, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts uh, among LGBTQ youth. You know, Chasten, my husband pointed out that you know if if our kids someday uh, uh, some Monday morning come into class and 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 uh, you know kids uh, are, are sitting around, the teacher's got the uh, morning circle talking about how everybody's weekends went, and one of them says, I yeah. had the best weekend with my dads. Is a teacher supposed to say, no, we don't talk about that here? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if it's at, at any age where it's appropriate to talk about, uh, uh, you know, a, a kid's mom and dad, then it should be appropriate to talk about a kid's mom and mom or dad and dad or whatever family structures we live with. That's part of what it means to be pro-family is to be pro-every family.
0: So Buddha Judge is in my opinion, one of the most dangerous politicians on the left right now, not because he's particularly, not because he's in a particularly influential role as Secretary of Transportation, but because of this this very, I, I'm not sure what the right word is here, but this very slimy tactic, this very dishonest tactic, this very, this very, well, it's false. It's it's simply false, but it's it's weaponizing. He weaponizes religion to try to twist the actual meaning of scripture in the Bible and the sexual ethics that are found in the Bible, and to turn that by a misinterpretation into supporting his own agenda. And he, he actually admits this. A couple of years ago, he said, what the left needs to stop doing is they need to stop removing religion from their arguments. They need to stop saying that we should separate religion and state buddha judge posits that what the left should be doing is they should be making the religious argument for a progressive leftist agenda now to do this of course there is no there is no biblical argument for socialism for example there is no biblical argument for gay marriage for example you would have to twist scripture you would have to misinterpret it deliberately and that's a very dangerous thing because a lot of people are vulnerable to scriptural interpretations i mean look at look at how prevalent the prosperity gospel has become the last couple of years that's a misinterpretation of the bible and it's heresy actually it's unbiblical it's the opposite of what the bible teaches about wealth and about charity and Yet look at how vulnerable people have been to jumping on board with that because it feeds our materialism. It feeds maybe our more base desires. Well, that's the same with what Buddha judges is offering here. He's offering this idea that the left should not pretend to step away from religion and just leave religion to the right. That the left should embrace religion, but misinterpret it. That the left should use scriptural scriptural phrases that are interpreted incorrectly as a justification of what they're doing. And so that's what he does when he says, quote, that's part of what it means to be pro-family. It means being pro-every family. So he's taking this phrase, which conservatives, of course, have been the ones defending the family, defending uh, marriage between one man and one woman, defending, and I, by the way, have more to say on that in a couple minutes, but defending the idea of gender roles, that it's it's not sexist for the woman to stay home. It's not her not living up to her potential. It's not, women are not measured just by the amount that's in their paycheck. They don't have to go in the labor force. It's a very incredibly powerful thing for a woman to stay home with her children to raise her children and for a man to be the provider and protector this is this is traditional traditional gender roles the right has been this protector of the family from marriage to traditional gender roles, to gender itself, the definition of gender itself, to parental authority over children, to you know pregnancy and childbirth and life issues, protecting against abortion. Of course, it's been the conservative movement that has been pro-family here. This has been one of the principles of our party for a long time, one of the cultural, religious, social, legal, political principles of our party. And yet, Buttigieg is taking that. And by the way, the conservative pro-family viewpoint is pushed the hardest by the evangelical wing of our party, by the religious wing of our party. That doesn't mean that there aren't sec- secular arguments in favor of being pro-family, but the conservative wing, the evangelical wing of the conservative movement and the Republican Party have been the strongest, I should say, the strongest vocally pushing the pro-family narrative. So what Buttigieg is doing is he's taking this religious argument that the right uses and he's deliberately twisting it. He's deliberately saying, well, that's part of what it means to be pro-family. It means to be pro Every family. Now, the fallacy here is that Buttigieg is redefining family. The way that you and I understand family is we understand family, especially a nuclear family, to be uh, a one man married to one woman and their children. Well, what Buttigieg is doing is he's redefining any any unit or any contract to be redefined as family, and he's saying in order to be pro-family, you have to support any any contract between consenting adults, any even if it involves sexuality that is contrary to the biblical sexual ethic, he's saying in order to be pro-family, you have to support and celebrate anybody's lifestyle, any, any consenting adult's sexual lifestyle choices. And this, of course, is false. It's the same kind of false narrative as when liberals say in order to be pro-life, you also have to be pro-big government so that you can have this cradle-to-grave welfare state, because that's taking care of lives after they're out of the womb. And of course, that also is a logical fallacy because you can certainly be anti-abortion, pro-life, and you can be small government, limited government, individual freedom, and support personal charity to um, help lives outside of the womb be successful and prosperous and loved, et cetera, et cetera. But th- this, is, this is, as you can see, this, this theme or this narrative that the left is putting out about this, quote unquote, don't say gay bill, this this Senate Bill 1834, and we haven't even gotten to what is actually in this bill, what this bill actually is. But we see how the left is trying to define the narrative about this bill. They're saying that it is about children, that it it turns children into criminals if they're gay. It will cause them mental health issues. It will lead to more suicides that you know, you have to be, if you don't wanna be a bigot, you have to support gay marriage. You have to support families of two dads and two moms. You have to define those, those contracts, those lifestyle choices as a family. Otherwise, otherwise, as Buttigieg says, the teacher will tell the student that they aren't allowed to talk about their two dads. And so let me just be very clear. Let's be very, very clear. That is a lie. Senate Bill 1834 does no such thing. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. So what the left is doing with Senate Bill 1834 is they are deliberately misrepresenting what the bill actually is and what the bill actually does. This should come as no surprise to us. This is how the left always twists reality. They want to def- they want to completely ignore what reality actually is, objective truth, and they want to pretend that their delusion is in fact reality and it's not it's not so what i did here is when i when i read all these headlines when i heard saki when i saw biden's tweets i said okay well let's look at this let's look at the text of this legislation itself because put the mute button press the mute button on the cnn's and the msnbcs and all the liberal pundits let's see what this actually is because if it is anti gay that's not good you know everybody should have equality under the law everyone should be treated with dignity and respect let's see what let's see if this actually hurts kids but first i want to talk to you about american hartford gold I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed everything in our country is getting expensive. We are in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with a government that is printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years. Inflation is seemingly here to stay. And if the government continues its out of control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its free fall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an a rating from the Better Business Bureau because of thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait, call them now. Call 855-768-1883. That's 855-768-1883 or text Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Again, that's 855-768-1883 or text Liz to 65532. So I brought up this bill. And it's four pages, but not really even four pages. It's actually two pages because you have this original piece of legislation that was introduced, and then you have the the edits that were made to it that will be added to the state statute. So let's walk through this. Let's see what the text of the legislation says that this bill actually does. It was introduced, by the way, by Senator Baxley, just in case anybody was wondering. It is Senate Bill 1834 in the Florida Senate. You can find it literally just by Googling SB 1834 in Florida, and you can read the text for yourself. And I always, I always encourage this. It's what I always do whenever there's misleading narratives or when I suspect there's misleading narratives coming from the left about legislation. Is I go and I read it myself, it's actually not difficult to read legislation. This it doesn't have a title yet, um, or it didn't at the beginning, but this is what it says. It says, a bill to be entitled, an act relating to parental rights in education. It amends a Florida State Statute 1001.42, requiring district school boards to adopt procedures that comport with certain provisions of law for notifying a student's parent of specified information, requiring such procedures to reinforce the fundamental rights of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children in a specified manner. Again, this is probably why, before we even get into the details, this is why the left is going ballistic about this bill because they're making an effort right now. This is their year to undermine parental rights. This is their year to try to abolish parental rights, to obliterate them. And this bill is playing offense against that. Now, we, we've talked before. I've talked before about the difference between conservatives just playing defense, just being the party of no, e- even successfully fighting back against um against moves or attacks, assaults on our freedom by the radical left. But there's a difference between playing defense versus playing offense. When you are a step ahead of the left and you actually say, I'm not just going to ban critical race theory. I'm going to mandate, or I'm going to pass a law that requires public schools to teach anti-communist principles, to actually educate children about the history of communism. That's playing offense. Defense is banning critical race theory, and that's great. We should do that. But we should also play offense and Mandate that students be taught the reality of communism. That, of course, is a real example. It's not hypothetical. That happened also in the state of Florida. That's what this bill does. And that's why the left is going ballistic here, because they don't want parents to have a codified right, meaning they don't want parental rights, inherent parental rights protected under law. So that's what this, that's what the summary here says. Okay. It goes on to say prohibiting the procedures from prohibiting a parent from accessing certain records. Now, let's talk about this phrase for a second, prohibiting the procedures from prohibiting a parent from accessing certain records. This is in relation to a what I consider to be an absolutely terrifying part, or an absolutely terrifying ideology and set of rules and provisions that actually do exist in public schools right now. If there's a reason, if there's one reason that Lady Baby will never go to a public school, this and I had to order it in... in Relation to how important my different reasons were, this one would be the very top reason. Because in some school districts, if a child says to a school counselor or even to a teacher that, listen, I was born a girl, but I've decided to transition. I was born in the wrong body. I'm actually a boy and I'm gonna socially transition. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to school and I wanna be called a boy's name and I wanna wear boys' clothes and I want you to treat me as a boy. I want you to use male pronouns. The school. Can do this not only without the permission of the student's parent, which is abhorrent since these children are children, they're minors, but the school can actually withhold the information even if the parent requests it. So, this happened in Chicago. A father, I think it was a sixth grade girl, a father with a sixth grade daughter, the daughter wanted to transition, and the father suspected that this was happening because the daughter had told the father that she wanted to transition. The father had said no. And the child, the girl did this at school. Anyway, she socially transitioned at school. The father suspected this was happening. So we put in a records request. He said, I want my daughter's school records. I want, you know, her school counselor records. I want the notes. I want to know how the, how the school is addressing her, whether they're using pronouns in a male name. I, I want to know. And the school refused. The school lied to him. And they felt, the school felt like they weren't doing something deceptive or immoral or evil or wrong. They felt like they were, quote unquote, protecting this child, this child who was suffering from gender dysphoria, who was transitioning at school without the consent of her parent. And they actually, they not only denied the request of the father, they denied that they were doing this. This is happening in our country. There are provisions in public schools right now, all across the country, that allow school officials or even prohibit school officials from giving over children's records to their own parents, to the children's own parents. And if, I mean, it's absolutely shocking. So, this is what this bill does prohibits the procedures from prohibiting a parent from accessing certain records, providing construction, prohibiting a school district, the legislation says, from adopting procedures or student support forms that requires school district personnel to withhold from a parent specified information or that encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information. So think about that. Your child's in school and you're maybe at work, you're at home, and your child goes to the school counselor with some kind of mental health issue. Maybe your child, actually, maybe your minor child is pregnant and wants an abortion. And there are certain provisions in public schools which not only don't have an automatic notification to a parent, which they should, but they actually discourage the student from even telling the parent. So there's sort of there's sort of three different aspects of this. Not only is there not an automatic notification system, not only can the school refuse to provide the parent with records, the school counselor can actually discourage the child from voluntarily telling their parent about this. So as you can see, this is a deliberate wedge that the government through the public school system is trying to drive between parents and their children in cases of really serious physical and mental health issues that a child, again, these are minors, might be experiencing. So what is this, what is what is this don't say gay bill actually do? What does it actually contain? It contains provisions that allow the parent to exercise their parental right to have access to information about their minor child, especially when the child. Is going through a, min- a mental or a physical health issue. And it just prohibits school officials from driving that wedge, from refusing to allow parents to exercise their parental rights. So it prohibiting, it goes on to say prohibiting school district personnel from discouraging or prohibiting parental notification and involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical well being, prohibiting a school district from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or in a specified manner. So this is the sentence or the phrase, I should say. This is the phrase within this piece of legislation that has garnered the name from the left, the don't say gay name. And as you can see, it does no such thing. This is not targeted at children. This is not targeted at students. This is targeted at the school district. Prohibiting, read it, we'll read it again. Prohibiting a school district from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or in a specified manner. So if we parse the legalese here, what this means is a school district cannot facilitate a conversation specifically about sexual orientation or gender identity in a classroom setting. This does not mean a student cannot come to the teacher And say, hey, I have two dads. This cannot, this does not mean that a student cannot tell another student I I identify as LGBTQ. This is this is not targeting these students whatsoever. A student can never, under the provision of this legislation, a student can never be penalized for any of this. This is about a school district giving explicit encouragement for a classroom discussion about these topics. So there it is. You can see for yourself that the left is telling abject lies about this. And again, there's also another important phrase in here that the radical left is ignoring, and that is the phrase, in a primary grade, in primary grade levels. So what are primary grade levels? Preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. So up until you're what, 13 years old? So three-year-olds to 13-year-olds, when they're in school, they... The school district is prohibiting from encouraging a classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity. And this actually speaks, by the way, to the larger agenda from the radical left when it comes to the sexualization of our children here. Because preschoolers, kindergartners, first graders through eighth graders are prepubescent children. Yes, I understand that. Some people are gonna push back and say, well, I got my period at 13. Well, great, okay. Well, at the very end of that, you are entering puberty. These are prepubescent children. These are are not sexual beings. The radical left is trying to turn children into sexual beings, but these, these children are children. They shouldn't be considering sexual attraction to another person. And naturally, biologically, they don't consider sexual attraction to another person. I mean, grade school boys are the ones that are saying, ooh, girls are icky and dropping worms down their shirts. Little girls are not thinking about boys in the way that high school girls think about boys. No, these are children. So no, it is not appropriate for the public school on behalf of the government, the public school being an agent of the government, to facilitate classroom discussions about sexual orientation and gender identity. Of course it's inappropriate, but the radical left, again, they don't don't want you to think of this as what it is. The reality of the situation is third graders shouldn't be learning about gender identity. In California, by the way, this there was a gender studies curriculum that was introduced by the state that would tell kindergartners, kindergartners, that they could be a boy if they want to be a boy. They could be a girl if they want to be a girl, regardless of, of the reality of their gender, regardless of the reality of their sex. So this is not a hypothetical question. This is not about students with with gay parents coming to school and feeling ashamed talking about their family structure this is not about this is not about lgbtq youth having depression and suicide because of course we should we should take care of children with mental health issues including depression or suicidal ideation of course we should no one is saying anything otherwise this is not about bullying this is not about shaming this is not about social ostracization the left wants you to think that's the case because the reality is shocking the reality is again with that gender studies curriculum in California, high school students in their sex ed class were were taught about anal sex and bondage. And the state actually defended that when parents were like, hey, wait a second, I don't want my 14-year-old boy to be taught in school about anal sex and bondage. The state curriculum committee in California defended that and said, well, this is a civil rights issue. It's a civil rights issue to talk about transgenderism from K to 12. And so, again, the reality of what this bill is is addressing the reality of what the radical left wants to do in public school classrooms. And it would be great if we didn't have to have a bill like this. Yes, it, it, that would be ideal, actually. But the radical left has necessitated a bill like this. They've made it necessary to protect children against their agenda but let's finish reading the legislation here. It says it also authorizes a parent to bring an action against a school district to obtain a judgment that a school district procedure or practice violates certain provisions of law, providing for the additional award of injunctive relief damages and reasonable attorney fees and court costs to certain parents. So essentially it allows parents to sue if they have a reasonable belief that a teacher or a school administrator, school official, school district is violating this law. That's what what this bill is. That's what this bill is. So then, again, I said this was four pages total. That's the first two pages. The second two pages are how it fits into existing law. Some of it's repetitive, but it's worth reading because it actually softens the original language of the bill as it was introduced. This is what it says. Be it enacted by the legislature of the state of Florida, section one, paragraph C is added to subsection eight of section 1001.42 Florida statutes to read in accordance with the rights of parents enumerated in 1002.20 and 1014.04, adopt procedures for notifying a student's parents if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being, and the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. The procedures must reinforce the fundamental rights of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children by requiring school district personnel to encourage a student to discuss issues relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent, or to seek permission to discuss or facilitate discussion of the issue with the parent. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine that. I mean, like I said, it would be great if this bill, this piece of legislation wasn't necessary, but it's a sad commentary on our culture that we have to have a piece of legislation that says, okay, a teacher should make sure to encourage a student to talk to their parents about their health problems and that they need permission from the parent to facilitate any kind of health care. This is actually just basic common sense. this has been this has been an understood reality for as long as there has been schools. As long as there has been been any kind of teacher that facilitates a learning environment for a student, that still the parent has the ultimate authority over the student. That a teacher can be respected, but the parent has dominion over their child. And this is what this bill, again, codifies into law. The procedures, the bill reads, must comply with 1002.22 Two and may not prohibit a parent from accessing any of his or her minor child's education records created, maintained, or used by the school district. This paragraph does not limit or alter any obligation of school district personnel to report suspected abuse, abandonment, or neglect, as those terms are defined in 39.01. A school district may not adopt procedures or student support forms that require school district personnel to withhold from a parent information about his or her student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being, or a change in related services or monitoring or that encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information, unless a reasonably prudent person would believe that such disclosure would result in abuse, abandonment, or neglect, as those terms are defined in 39.01. Again, there's there's even an out. I'm not even sure I'm in favor of an out like that because of how the left has defined abuse. The left has defined abuse as any parent who doesn't facilitate the transition of their minor child, which obviously I don't define, that is not the definition. That's not the true, the reality of abuse. That's not the true definition of abuse. They've hijacked that term, twisted it and redefined it for their own good here. But this is the bill that they're up in arms about. This is the bill that they say is hateful, will lead to more suicides, hurts LGBTQ youth, won't let students talk about certain topics. None of that is true. None of it's true. And just, just so you're aware, I, I, just so we're all aware, I should say, there has been a space of public school teachers on TikTok of all places who are gender queer themselves, you know, with all the stereotypes here. We're talking gauge earrings, we're talking pink hair, we're talking teachers who are admitting on TikTok that they actively try to facilitate conversations about gender identity. We're talking about teachers who actively try to bring this conversation around. They dress and present themselves in a way in order to solicit questions from their students, in order to give the answers that the teacher wants the students to have about sexual orientation, sexual ethics, sexual activity, and gender identity. Again, this bill is a response to the reality of what the radical left wants in our public school system. We're going to read more of this legislation in just a second, but first I want to talk to you about ExpressVPN. I really value my privacy and my security online. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like taking a call on a train or a bus, on on speakerphone even, for everyone to hear. You don't know who has access to your most private, your most sensitive information, so don't be that person. I know I don't want to be. Here's why I use ExpressVPN. Internet service providers know every single website that you visit and in the US, they can legally sell that information to ad companies and tech giants who then use your own data to target you. Well, ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so people can't peep on your online activity. All, it's, it's very easy, you just fire up the app, you click one button, It works on phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. No wonder, of course, it's rated number one by Business Insider and The Verge. So I use ExpressVPN to keep my family safe online. Secure your online activity today. Use my URL, expressvpn.com slash Liz to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz for three months free of this service, expressvpn.com slash Liz. And then here's where we get to this, the meat of this bill again, not just not just the parental notification system, which is incredibly important by the way, but the part that the left is trying to hijack and portray to be something it's not. Here's what it says. A school district may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. Now, the left is arguing that those are incredibly vague terms Um, I think they're incredibly important terms because of what I mentioned before, because the left is actively trying to turn children into sexual beings, and children are not sexual beings. They don't have the mental and obviously physical, the emotional, the psychological capacity to be sexual beings. They are children. They are minors. Their brains are not fully developed. Obviously, their bodies are not fully developed either. And so, yes, they should be protected from information that they are not, that they do not have the capacity to mentally handle, to psychologically handle, to emotionally handle at, at, at the time of their age, at the time of their development. It's an entirely appropriate part of, of this statute. It goes on to say a parent of a student may bring action against a school district to a- obtain the judgment. That part's the same for the rest of the bill. So we hear what the left tells us that this bill is. Don't say gay. This will Hurt LGBTQ youth. They won't be able to talk about their their structure, their parental structure in the classroom. This is this is bigoted. This is dangerous. This will cause more suicides. So that's all false. As you can see, the people who are directed in this statute to behave in a certain way are the school officials, school administrators, the school district. It is the school district that. Is required to follow to follow the provisions in this bill. They are required to not withhold parental no, not withhold information from parents. They are prohibited from withholding information from parents. Records according uh, records about the student. They are prohibited from not notifying parents of changes to the mental or physical health care that they are facilitating um, in regards to these children. It is prohibiting school, this bill prohibits school officials from encouraging students not to tell their parents. This bill prohibits school officials from discouraging parental involvement in health decisions. It prohibits a school district from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary school, primary grade level classrooms. That is what this bill is. That is the what is it-ness of this bill. Why is this bill necessary? Well, this bill is necessary Because the radical left has a gender ideology that they are disseminating in public schools. And we can see examples of this everywhere we look. We can see it in cases where parents have requested information about their children and the school has stonewalled them where children have transitioned in school and the school has refused to notify the parents about this. We have seen public school teachers on TikTok admit this. We have seen movements like the Black Lives Matter movement who have stated as part of their agenda on their website that they want to abolish the nuclear family structure. We have seen the Black Lives Matter movement's ideology, their actual curriculum turned into a curriculum that is taught in public school classrooms we've seen this in California. They introduced a curriculum in California that was exactly this, teaching little children radical gender ideology, teaching kindergartners that they can be transgender if they want, teaching children who are a little bit older, teenagers, about really perverse sexual behavior. We've seen pornographic books introduced in school districts and liberals throwing a fit when parents don't want their children to have access to pornographic books. We've seen children's books really primary level children's books. I'm talking first, second, third grade children's books that have an agenda, that have graphic sexual images, that have same-sex storylines. We've seen this gender ideology. It is real. It is out there. They're trying to get it into your child's head. So this bill is necessary. This bill is actually what I described before. This bill is playing offense. This bill is not just saying ban critical race theory. We're playing defense here. This bill is saying, no, we're going to make sure that our children are taught that communism is bad. It's playing offense, not in the critical race theory, not in the racialized Marxism way, but on the gender ideology. They're saying, we're not just going to ban you from talking about transgenderism to kindergartners. We're actually going to codify into law. We're going to play offense here, codify into law that parents have a fundamental inherent right to dominion over their children, to have access to information about their minor children and to be involved in decisions about the mental and physical health care of their kids in public schools. This this. We all should be supporting bills of this nature. This is what we have to do to fight back against the radical left. And I I talk about this today, not just to debunk the lies that the radical left is perpetrating about this bill. I I talk about this because there are many conservatives who don't want to talk about this. Many conservatives who are afraid to talk about this. In fact, a lot of conservatives don't want to talk about issues as it relates to same-sex sex homosexual behavior or gay marriage because they think, well, it's a lost cause. We we lost the gay marriage fight. The Supreme Court said it's in the Constitution, even though it's not. And we've lost that. So why waste political capital talking about this when we're just going to be called a bigot? We're just going to be called a homophobe here. And these conservatives are very mistaken. They're mistaken because it, it is true. The conservative movement and the Republican Party was defeated on the gay marriage issue. And the reason that they were defeated is because they allowed the radical left to hijack the narrative. They allowed the radical left to paint every conservative and every Christian, every every Jew, every Muslim who holds traditional sexual ethics as according to the Bible, that marriage is between one man and one woman and sex belongs within the union of that marriage between one man and one woman, that extramarital sex or premarital sex or homosexual sex violates that that marital union, um, they painted the, the vast majority of people in our country who hold the sexual ethic actually as bigots. They they elevated groups, radical groups, like the Westboro Baptist Church, who was not representative of mainstream conservative views on homosexual, homosexuality or gay marriage. They elevated the Westboro Baptist Church and said, this, this is who's standing against gay marriage, and conservatives didn't fight back against this. There was a small portion of the conservative movement, a small portion of the evangelical community that pushed back, but not not enough, not well enough, not strategically enough. And so the radical left was successful in portraying conservatives or conflating mainstream conservatives with mainstream Christian traditional sexual ethics with radical crazies like the Westboro Baptist Church. And that's obviously false. That's not true, but they were successful in doing this. And so conservatives gave up. Well, we can't do that. Again, we can't do that when it comes to radical gender theory in public schools. If we just say, well, we lost that fight once, I don't know how we ever go back now, then soon our children are going to believe that radical gender theory is reality. They're going to believe that there are more than two genders. They're going to believe that they can be a boy if they want to be a boy, and a girl if they want to be a girl, even when they're not, even when they were born a girl and born a boy. This is the fight of our lifetime. This is the fight of our lifetime, and the Democrats know this. The Democrats know this, which is why when there's a bill in the Florida state legislature, you have the president of the United States, a Democrat, obviously, Joe Biden, obviously speaking out on this. You have the press secretary speaking out on this. You have the secretary of transportation speaking out on this. This isn't just a pundit war. This is the highest, the upper echelons of the Democratic Party here. And we obviously, again, wouldn't need this if the left weren't crazy, but the left is crazy. And so we do need this. And I I, I would just say this conservatives across the board, you're not a bigot for speaking out against this. Of course you're not. You want equality under the law for everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation. You want to treat everyone with dignity and respect as a child of God, because that's what we're called to do as Christians. That means you are not a bigot. That means you are not a bigot. But standing up for traditional Christian sexual ethics and traditional marriage does not mean that you are harming LGBTQ people. It does not mean that you are harming others who do not agree with you. And by the way, By the way, this is not just happening in in public schools. A A piece of legislation might address what's happening in public schools, but there's also an assault on our children, an effort to indoctrinate them happening in private schools right now. Paul Rossi over at Legal Insurrection announced a new project that he is spearheading. It's essentially a series of exposés and it exposes... The gender ideology that's happening in elite private schools across the nation, and who is behind this? That it's not just an isolated incident, where an isolated instance where a progressive-leaning elite private school is, well, teaching <laughs> teaching radical gender ideology. That there's an organization behind all of this. This organization, according to Paul Rossi, um, is called the National Association of Independent Schools. It's abbreviated N A I S. And this is what Rossi writes. He says. You've probably never heard of the National Association of Independent Schools, NAIS, but you need to know about it. NAIS is the driving force behind the radical, racial, and gender programming that has captured most K-12 private schools, called independent schools, across the country, particularly the elite schools that feed higher education, journalism, politics, and government. I should know, he says, I used to teach math at one of these places before I became a whistleblower. In this post, I will lay out some background about NAIS and in coming weeks, I will roll out videos and documents shining a light on NAIS mischief. Read this background below and stay tuned in the coming days and weeks. This is just a tiny excerpt. It's a, it's a very long expose, and I encourage everyone. I posted the link to this on my locals, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Anyone, by the way, can access this. You don't have to be a VIP. Just join for free, um, and you can access this. Read the whole thing, and this is just three little excerpts that are critically important. Rossi writes, um... As previously explained in a major piece last year at the Free Beacon, NAIS dominates all other private school membership associations in power and influence. Through their approval of 25 regional accreditors, the NAIS sets parameters for board decision making at 1,600 of the top private K-12 schools. A quote, commitment to equity and justice is a critical component of their principles of good practice, which are essential to schools' missions. After an audit by NAIS assessment of inclusivity and multiculturalism instrument, which inevitably identifies deficits around DEI, diversity, um, equity, and inclusion, a network of critical race theory-based DEI consultants approved in the NAIS marketplace are on call to sell back a bevy of fixes to the schools. So what does this tell us? So we have this organization the NAIS, who sets standards for elite private schools that they are a member, and most of them are a member of this. And the standards that they set require these workshops, require these um, consultants to come in and teach these private schools about, well, what else? Critical race theory and critical gender theory. And they provide these consultants to these private schools, consultants who are very radically left. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. So he goes on to talk about how they also, this organization, NAIS, also determines the political narrative that is being taught in many of these in many of these um, private schools. In fact, one, Rodney Glasgow, who's the head of school at Sandy Springs Friends School in Maryland, he drew an analogy between parents concerned about curriculum in private schools to violent January 6th insurrectionists. So you see what we're talking about here. You see what we're talking about here. And then the third thing that's really important in this in this first this first piece, this first article, this first part of his exposé is this. The actual content changes pushed meaning in curriculum that your kids are learning in private school. The actual content changes pushed by this nexus of actors include setting up quote affinity spaces, library diversity audits, anti-racism, anti-bias training, equity grading, An identity-focused curriculum changes to every academic course, including pushing critical gender theory on children using tools like the gender-bred person and the gender unicorn. Again, go to Legal Insurrection, follow Paul Rossi's expose on how our private schools are also being co-opted. But this, my friends, this this is why we need legislation like SB 1834. We have to eradicate this. We can't just play defense. We have to play offense because th- this is this is a thought experiment this is a thought experiment that in fact i had a, i had a debate a long conversation with my producer earlier because about the role of state governments in determining the morality of the state because there's a libertarian view and it's more of the tea party view which i tend towards by the way uh, a Tea Party view or a Libertarian view that says, "Listen, it's not the role of the government to get involved in determining the morality of the citizens. The only, the only appropriate intervention of the state is to protect the inherent rights, the inherent rights, human rights of individual citizens." So what I do with my moral choices, what i do even with my own body, with my relationships with whatever it be, it doesn't matter, it's not the government's they don't have authority over me unless my action infringes on someone else's inherent human right. That's the, that's the very libertarian viewpoint on this, it's the tea party mindset and again, i tend on the spectrum of what authority government has to get involved in morality, i tend towards that end versus you know the the opposite end of the spectrum would be i guess a full-blown theocracy. I don't know anybody who is anybody who's advocating for that. Somewhere in the middle would be the national conservatism strain of of conservatism that has that has grown more it's manifested more in the last couple of years and I initially was resistant to this idea because I thought, well, I don't want government to be in charge of morality because as soon as a Republican is in power, they're going to legislate morality in a way that maybe I agree with. But as soon as a Democrat is in that same position of power, they're going to legislate morality that I disagree with. So I'd rather just have government out of it altogether. And as I said, I still find that argument to be very compelling. However, there is a naivete that is involved with thinking that the left is true to their word. And what I mean by that specifically is the left has told us for decades that they just want to make sure that we have a separation of church and state. They just want to make sure that we don't live in a theocracy that someone else's morals, that they're not forced to follow someone else's morals. So they that that's the root of their advocacy for tolerance when it comes to when it comes to LGBTQ issues in particular, right? They want tolerance. They, they say they don't need you to embrace it. Or initially they told us, you don't have to embrace it. We just want to make sure that they have equal rights. We, you want, we want you to tolerate other people making different choices. And conservatives in general said, okay, that seems fair. That's not me endorsing morality. We can, we can, we can move, remove morality from laws. But this, this is where the naivete plays in, because that's not actually what the left wanted. They didn't just want this separation of law and morality so that each individual can make that moral choice for themselves. No, if you look at their actions, that might have been what their words said initially. Their words have, have changed, they've morphed since then. But if you look at their actions, the left has actually been legislating morality for decades. Look at the state of California. The state of California is legislating morality. They are legislating that you have to, if you are a pro life crisis pregnancy center, that you have to advertise free abortions. They are legislating morality in the sense that they say that nurses must use the preferred pronouns of their geriatric patients or face time in jail. They are saying that you cannot use a plastic straw because they've defined all of this as their preferred morality. And they're not just saying, okay, we, we wanna remove morality and we want individuals to make these moral decisions for themselves. No, they are actually legislating their version of morality. And so what conservatives have fallen for, maybe conservatives were gullible, maybe conservatives just assumed that liberals were operating in good faith when they weren't, but what conservatives agreed to is they agreed to remove morality, and that created a vacuum, a situation where liberals just filled that. They filled that spot with their own version of morality. And so for us as conservatives to sit here and say, well, government should only be involved in decisions that are protecting someone's inherent human rights and morality decisions aren't the role of the government, that would be fine. That would actually be a utopian system of government. That would be what I would prefer if that were the reality of the thing. But on the state level, on the state level, this doesn't seem to be the reality anymore. It seems to be, the, re- the reality seems to be that if Republicans don't play offense, not just playing defense, but if Republicans don't play offense, and that includes some morality legislation, then the radical left is going to fill that void and they are going to legislate their own morality. So again, I still lean towards, I I find the argument very compelling that government should stay out of the way unless one person is violating another person's rights because I don't trust politicians and I don't want this flip-flopping of morality in government. I don't want Republicans to legislate one thing and then Democrats to come back. And because they have the authority, the power to do it, they switch it. I'd rather no politician have any power to do anything and individuals make that decision for themselves, but that's not what they're doing. That's not what's happening. And this, this is an issue of morality that touches each and every one of our lives in a very intimate way. And what I mean by this is looking forward the next five years, there is going to be a stark difference between living in a blue state and living in a red state. Right now, the difference is if you live in California, you complain about the really high taxes, you complain about the traffic, you complain about their ridiculous environmental standards, you complain about those types of things. But on a a minute-to-minute basis, is your life being impacted by the radical leftist policies in Sacramento? Not everyone. Not always. I lived in California for eight years and I paid a lot of taxes and I whined about it. But I can't say that the decisions that I wanted to make about myself and my family were super duper impacted by the very radical leftist policies. It was, more, it was more difficult to get a gun, which was wrong, but I could still get one. It was more difficult to, it, was, it might be more difficult to homeschool your children there, but it's not impossible. But five years down the road, this is not going to be the case. Five years down the road, if we let the radical left legislate their version of morality, which is amoral, then this is going to intimately impact our day-to-day lives because it's going to touch our children. It's going to brainwash our children. Our children are going to be indoctrinated with radical gender theory. There were something like 40 million Americans who were eligible to vote who didn't vote in 2020. This is the kind of animating issue that will get these individuals to the voting booth, And they will all be Republican. Because the idea of your kindergartner being taught that he can be transgender if he wants to be, or your sixth grader transitioning socially at school and school administrators withholding that information from you, or your high schooler being taught about anal sex and bondage. I don't know a parent in this country who doesn't feel that parental outrage in their gut, that protective instinct that would get them to the polls to make sure that this is prohibited by law. That politicians who will fight against this evil, this poisonous ideology, aren't elected at the state level. Because again, this this is a state level battle. But five years from now, there's going to be a distinct difference between red states and blue states in a way that we have never seen before. Never seen before. I want to talk to you about Echelon Fitness. Now, it is mid-February at this point, and I can't say that I've been doing super well on my New Year's resolution to work out. I do want to get in shape this year, however. I don't have time to go to the gym. Fortunately, Echelon Fitness brings the gym home to me. This does help a lot. It also helps to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes with music from my favorite artists. You also get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon Fitness gives you all of this. They are the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. With Echelon Fitness, you can work out anytime, day or night, after the kids go to bed maybe, you get up early maybe, and crush your fitness goals. Echelon Fitness' full range of affordable workout equipment, including stationary bikes, smart rowers, sleek fitness screens, and the auto-folding treadmill are all connected to provide the Echelon Fitness experience. One membership Covers a family of five. And right now for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $650 off MSRP. To get this exclusive offer, text Liz to 818181 to get up to $650 off MSRP. $650 off MSRP, Liz, 818181. Disclaimer, this is mandatory message. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. All right, let's take a hard turn here. I wanna talk about COVID because there's some interesting developments that have recently occurred. However, big tech, of course, doesn't let us talk about the good COVID topics on their platform. So we're going to go over to locals to talk about this. Please join us at LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. In fact, I have a promo code for you. If you use this promo code, then you get one month free on an annual subscription. The promo code ready for this is F Big Tech. Now, when my producer told me that this was the promo code, I asked, well, is this F like just the letter F Big Tech or is it EFF Big Tech? Let me clarify. It is F. Just the letter F, big tech, and you get one month free on an annual subscription. LizWheelershow.com slash locals. Come on over and join us over there because we're going to be talking about COVID. A super crazy story, actually, about the doctor who discovered the Omicron variant and what the European governments said to her. If you want to see the rest of this segment, hear everything that we're going to talk about, head on over to Locals, the Liz Wheeler Show community at LizWheelershow.com slash locals. See you there. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay, executive producer, Chad Abbott, director of photography, Kevin McRoberts, editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. sound mixer, Robin Fenderson, director of marketing, Emily Washler, production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler, and senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.